0: So this morning, I want us to just spend some time in, in the Word of God here in uh, the book of Psalms. I know we've been spending some time in 2 Kings, and I feel like this week, just I kept getting gravitated towards this psalm, and it's a simple psalm that I think everybody knows. So if you uh, just uh, go to Psalms chapter 1, we're going to jump in there for a little bit. Lately, my son has been asking me this question. He'll, he'll do, we'll say something to him. And then he'll do, he'll do what we say. He'll be obedient or he won't. And then he asks me this question. He goes, Daddy, are you happy? It's like his way of kind of like understanding, you know, getting some feedback to what he's just done. He's trying to understand. And sometimes when I say, hey, Micah, you did something that daddy didn't like. It doesn't make me happy. Um, he'll laugh. So he'll laugh about that and kind of giggle to himself like, oh, daddy, you're silly. But, you know, I, I don't want to not do what I just did. So you're feeling unhappy, but I'm sorry. I still want to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, but then sometimes he'll take that to heart and he'll say, daddy, are you happy? And I say yes or no or whatever. And then he'll, he'll just be like, okay, I, I love you, daddy. I love you, daddy. And, and he'll be happy and he won't do that thing again. And, you know, that just got me thinking. As this scripture came to my heart, the very first word that jumps out of the page, it's Psalms chapter 1, the very first word, depending on your Bible, it says that, it says, blessed. Blessed. You know, the NLT says, oh, the joys." You know, another Bible might say happiness or happy. Oh, how happy. So there's different ways in which you can say this, but the word in the Hebrew there for blessed is, is in essence the word happy. And so, you know, thinking of my son asking me that question, I want to pose it to you today. Are you happy? Are you happy? You know, and sometimes we have circumstances in our lives that would dictate for us not to be. We go through situations, we go through things, we experience highs and lows, and, and we experience situ- like real hurt and pain and sorrows and successes, and there's so many things that this life is kind of like a roller coaster, and we'll go through the gambit of it. We go through the mountaintops and the valleys, and so that question's ever before us, are we happy? And sometimes when we show up to church here, we'll ask you a rhetorical question. I'll stand on this pulpit and I'll say, how are you guys doing today? And the question to that, that question, you know, kind of connects and, and touches on that same, same question. Are you happy? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Is, is this a good thing today? And, and, and that question is kind of null and void because when we look at the word of God and when we look at this psalm, we get to see that there is a perpetual happiness that we can tap into. There is a happiness that we can have access to that is always present and always abundant and it's always there, and we can truly tap into this heavenly happiness, And but there's a way that we go about to get it. And so this morning, I want us to just spend some time here, um, nothing elaborate or, or, or mind-blowing. I just want us to enjoy this scripture and learn a little bit here as we go, um, as we look at the words of the psalmist. Before we start reading, let me just pray, Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that this is a day that you have made. And Lord, I will rejoice in it. And I pray that your church will rejoice in it, Father. Lord, no matter what is happening around us, within us, Lord God, or to us, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified. Help us, Lord, to tap into your grace and your mercy, that your Holy Spirit May your Holy Spirit, Lord God, just surround us and lead us into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God wants to give you a heavenly happiness. How many of us will say, yes, I want that? You know, I need that. I look around this world and I say, I want to be happy. I want to be, you know, connected in God's word. And here is how I see as we look at this scripture. Let's just start reading here. It says here, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. And they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. And we'll park it right there. Blessed, how happy... How wonderful it is. I feel like as we read this scripture here and we start unpacking this idea of happiness, I want to just encourage you guys in verse 3. It says that we are as rivers planted, you know, as trees planted by the riverbed, by the river. There is an incredible blessing that this book offers us. I know that no matter what, before we get into this detail, whatever you're going through, think about your situation, think about your issue, think about the impossibility that's before you, no matter what it is, how complex or simple it may be. Whether it involves another person or it involves, you know, a system, whether it's an entire nation that is involved and it's 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 things that are beyond your control seems to be have gotten bigger and bigger and complex and complex. No matter what it is, let me just tell you this there's an incredible promise in the scripture that you church, you believer, you person who have aligned yourself with God, you are like a tree that flourishes, that is by the riverbank, and there is an incredible blessing for you. There's an incredible blessing there, no matter what it is. But how do we get that? How do we experience that? How do we manifest that in our lives? How do we come to a place where that is actually what we see, what we experience, what we are feeling, what we are anchored in? I believe that first and foremost, it has to start as we follow the right path. We can find the right path by avoiding what the wrong path is. And he tells us right from the get-go Blessed is he who does not follow the advice or the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. God says that there is a blessing for us not going down the wrong path. We're blessed with happiness when we don't head down a disastrous path path of sin, because sin loves company and misery, and sin goes from one bad thing to another bad thing, and if you look at the progression of what the psalmist is saying here, he says this, it's going to take you from worse to worse. It's going to take you from one place to another place. You're going to change from one position and stance to another, and it's always going to keep deteriorating. He goes on to say this, to walk, right, who walks in the path of the sinful who walks there walking is a connection with our daily decisions it's it's a resemblance a symbol of our daily decisions as we make decisions every day we make lots of them and that is, we, we're walking in a path, we're making choices, we're walking, but then it goes from just walking in something, deciding something, to then going a step further, and you are now following something, you are now hanging out with something, you're standing around, you've walked and now you've stood. When we stand, the, the connotation there is that we're standing, these are the things that we kind of, you know, choose to gravitate towards in terms of causes. In terms of ideologies that we just kind of say, hey, I'm aligning myself with that. We stand on certain things. And so these are the things that might not be the best for us, but we're making a decision and we're now standing, aligning ourselves with something. But then he goes on to say, then you sit. You walk, you stand, and you sit. You think about that. You go from walking with something, deciding I'm going to dabble in this. I'm going to try that out. No, I'm going to align myself with that thought. And now I'm going to accommodate and appropriate that into my life. I'm going to accommodate and appropriate that and incorporate that into my everyday life, into my thought process, into my habits. I'm inviting it into my family and my home. It's part of my lifestyle and routine. It is part of my life. Sin always takes us from bad to worse. It goes from a place where well, let's just walk in this for a, for a moment. Let's just make a decision in this for a second. And then as we made that decision, it might have been something that we weren't quite excited about, we were so adamant against, but we've walked with it. We made a decision. And then at that point in time, we're starting to stand on that. And we're like, all right, this doesn't feel too uncomfortable, right? And as it doesn't feel too uncomfortable, we've aligned ourselves with that. Then we sit in it, and then it becomes part of us. And that thing that we, we, we used to complain about and advocate against it's now become something that we've you know, incorporated and assimilated into our lives but happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of the sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful the right path church leads to joy when God has given us his word, he tells us that the wrong path is going to lead us to judgment in hell, but the right path leads us to abundance in life. It leads us to his plan for us. The right path is going to lead us to heaven, and it's going to lead us to God. In verse 4, it tells us if we go down this continued path of walking, of standing, of sitting with what is wrong, verse 4 calls us Worthless. Our life becomes worthless. Our life becomes that of the, of the chaff that is you know, winnowed in, in the harvest time. They would take, in Israel, they would take the, the, the harvest and the grain at the end of the harvest. They would take it and, and with a winnowing fork, they'd throw it up into the air and the threshing floor. And the wind would blow and all the chaff would come and separate from the grain. The heavy grain would fall to the ground and they would harvest the grain on the floor. They would take that. But the chaff that blew away, it was worthless. It was meant for nothing. It could do nothing, it would accomplish nothing, it was not the right thing. The ungodly, when we live our lives aligned with the world, aligned with the things of this world, we incorporate and entice sin. We 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 you know date it for a bit and say, Hey, I'm just gonna dabble in it, I'm just gonna look into it, it will start leading us down this road where we get to a place where it's worthless. And in verse 5, the wrong path leads to a weak life, too weak to stand in the judgment before the Lord. And I don't want to get to that place. How do I become happy? How do I experience the happiness that God has in store for me? Number one, i got to understand the path that he wants me to walk in. i got to choose the right path and not the wrong one. But number two, God goes on and he tells us here as we keep looking forward. In verse six, he's going to say that the wasted life for the Lord knows the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The word perish there means that they're wandering away, going astray. There's no more hope. That's not what we want, but the good news is we can experience happiness, we can experience God's plan for us of salvation, of truth, of life, if we just step into what he has in store for us because he loves us too much to leave us that way. He has loved us and he wants to turn our lives around. Second Peter, it tells us this, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. So no matter how long we have been going down this wrong road, there's good news that God wants us to turn around. And there's time for us to turn around. And the time is now. The time is today. There's no time like the present. God wants to put lost people back on the path of abundant life and lead us down that road. Amen? Secondly, God wants us to not only find the right path, but he wants us to find the right pleasure. We have to find the right pleasures. Verse two is talking about the happy, happy man and says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. My question is, what delights me? That's my question for myself. It's the same question for you and I. What delights me? What delights me? you know um a couple a couple of years ago um, I was just you know always looking for ways to make improvements and get better and um, Pastor Xavier had had put me on to a, to a speaker to a church pastor leader and he had a, a course about just time management and different things and um, one thing that I had to do through that course was just to revamp my calendar you know you start putting in calendar events and appointments because if you do not have that within your your, your world you don't account for your time you know things will fill your time and you might fill your time with things that don't matter and things that lead you in the wrong way and things that you know will not add to the bottom line or lead you to the place where you need to be or want to be and so it'll just be filled and so one thing that I started looking at my time was my commute how many of you guys like driving in the car anybody Somewhat so-so. You know, if I get in the car, you, this is the, my immediate reaction. It doesn't matter if I'm driving or if I'm the passenger. The minute I sit in the car, I get tired. I don't know why it happens. You know, it happened so bad that when I was a teenager, I was going to work. Well, I was also working two jobs. And, uh, you know, I got so tired that I fell asleep and I crashed my car. We were working at the Capitol Grill. Remember Rinaldo? You're the one who helped me out at the end of the day. Um, I get tired in the car. And I feel like the car ride is just wasted time and it's just wasted. And and so, what I decided is I'm going to change my car rides and I'm going to rename it. It's been called Red Commutes for redeemed commutes. I'm going to redeem my time in the car. I'm going to make my time in the car about prayer. I'm going to make my time about in the car whether I'm going to listen to an audiobook. I'm going to listen to a podcast that's going to improve my my, my life and, and lead me to the Lord. I'm going to make phone calls and connect with people. I'm going to redeem this time because I don't want to just fill it with nothing. I want it to be productive and efficient. You know, and when I got my son in the car, it's always productive. We're just hanging out and having fun, and, and uh, it's, it's all good. But When I'm all by myself, I'm going to redeem that time. And it, it's it's been incredible. There's been moments of incredible times in the Lord, and you know I'm, I'm sure people driving by they look at me with like tears flying all over the place, and I'm all red in my face, and I'm praying, and I'm you know you know casting out things, and I'm declaring God's promises, and I'm sure they think that that guy is crazy. And then there's times that I'm listening to an audiobook or a sermon, and I just I'm just like so overwhelmed with the presence of God, and it's just incredible. And there's been you know sermon ideas and different things that have come out there, or, or conversations that were so rich with people that that have flowed out of those times of my redeemed commute but I just noticed recently it's been a couple of weeks that my commute is everything but redeemed and instead what my my space in the car has been filled with is just the news And I'm just, you know, consumed with what's going on with with this conflict in Ukraine and what's going on with inflation and what's happening with the politics and all these different things. And you know what, when I looked and and, and I got in the car and I was about to hit the Bible app or about to hit the podcast where I'm going to listen to a preaching or something like that, you know, all of a sudden it's like, uh, it wasn't delighting me. And I'm why am I choosing to, to hit the news button and just feed my appetite there as opposed to feed this that is going to nourish my soul? I don't know if I'm just being too transparent here and hot and open. Anybody ever experienced that before, where you know something that is of greater value, yet you choose something that's just not? It's just going to you know fluff you up and and entertain you for a while, or or just you know scratch an itch for something, but it really has no lasting impact or value. And There's nothing wrong with being informed, don't get me wrong. I'm not against the news. I'm not against you being aware of what's happening, world affairs and different things. But you know what? When I'm just consumed and at the end of my car ride, I get to my destination or I get home and the first thing that comes out of my mouth is a complaint. The first thing that's coming out of my mouth is negativity because I'm so bogged down with the negative news that I've just been consuming. I think that there's come a point where you've walked away from what you should have been doing and what would have been better. It's like Mary and Martha. I picked the worst thing where Mary picked the better thing. I didn't pick the better thing of spending time with my Lord or growing and seeking him and letting him redeem that time. What is it that delights you? You know, that could be not in your car, but at your house. It could be in your everyday hobbies and activities. What are are the things that are giving you life and feeding your soul and you're delighting in? The question is, is it aligned with the scriptures? Because he said here in verse two that they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. There's a delight there, why? Because I feel like when we come to understand this book, the Bible, We can come come here and we can find so many different promises. When we come to this book, we find promises that are for our lives, for our families, for our marriages, for our finances, for our health, for our well-being, for our future, for our spiritual lives. There are promises in here and not only that, not only do we find the promise in good news, but we find the power in order to walk in it and appropriate it into our lives because all of this book points to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who is the one that empowers us and gives us what we need. it is through him that we have our being and we move and it is through his spirit that we are able to accomplish and experience that which he promised us. And so, you know, my question is, are we delighting in this law of the Lord? He said, I meditated on the day and night. And the meditation that's happening here is not a meditation like the world knows it, like the Eastern meditation that we think about, not the mindless repetition of words and just mulling it over again and again and saying it out like a formula. That's not what it is. There's a meditation that goes beyond, which is I'm calling upon these promises exactly when I need them. I'm thinking back on them and I'm, you know, looking at them from every angle and I'm trying to figure out. Figure out how can I make this applicable in my life today? How does this fit my world? How does this actually rub me right now? Oh my gosh, I see this other thing rising up in me. I see that desire to just be consumed and, and, and to and to just binge on the news. But God, what is it that you're inviting me to do at this moment? What did your word say that I shall be renewed and transformed? Right, that I, I need to have my mind perfectly stayed upon you, Lord. That you are my healer, you're my redeemer, you're my rock in salvation, you are my shelter, you are. My strong tower, and when I'm worried about all these things, you didn't give me a spirit of fear, but you gave me a spirit of power, sound mind, and a spirit of love. God, I need to be anchored in you. And as these moments that I'm living, I'm going to step in and and just mull over and meditate and bring it back to my remembrance. I'm going to incorporate it back into my life. It is a different type of, uh, of meditation. We should delight in the law of the Lord. Amen? Amen. And it's it's not rocket science. Delight in the law of the Lord. We can't do that though if we don't digest this book. How can we learn to love something that we never knew? How can we love someone we never spend time with? How can we enjoy an activity that we've never tried? yeah, I can watch all kinds of extreme sports on TV, but until I actually go in there and try it out for myself, I will never know if I like it. That's why I had to just get out there and start snowboarding. And now I know that I love doing it. I enjoy doing it. It's fun, although it takes a lot out of you. And last time I did it, it got hurt, but it's all good. Um, if you don't try it, if you don't, aren't exposed to it, how do you know that you will delight in it. And if we don't digest this book, we shall never delight in it. We will be picking the things of this world and everything else, and we will not come to this book. We have to delight in it. R.A. Torrey, one of the greatest Bible teachers ever lived, he said this, anyone who wishes to obtain and maintain fullness of power in Christian life and service must feed constantly on the word of God. How can I have an abundance of happiness? I got to pick the right path. I got to pick the right delight. But at the same time, I have to allow God to plant me. Verse three the happy, happy man shall be planted like a tree by the riverbed that brings fruit forth in its season and whose leaf never withers. God wants to plant you in just the right time and place. And I love that word because it's not by accident. I hate gardening. Absolutely hate landscaping if anybody wants to come to my house every year every summer every couple weeks You can come once a month. That's okay. You can do my lawn for me. I will pay you whatever you want Maybe I shouldn't say that I got to run that by the wifey But I hate that and it's like I hate it because I don't know why all these weeds pop up and then the grass keeps growing I understand it has to grow which is fine, right and and that's good. It's healthy. It's growing. That's good It's important, but all these weeds show up And nobody, I don't go out there every single day and I just say, I'm going to plant a weed right here. I'm going to, let's throw the seeds of these weeds out here. It just, it flies around the air and it gets, you know, moved from one place to the next. And it just happens to be there every which way in every place. And I know that that's a result of of the garden. If we go back, you know, it's all prophesied there. It was all part of the curse that came into the world. Absolutely. But you know what? I hate the fact that I have to now deal with it. It's not fun for me. I don't enjoy it. I, I don't get excited when I say, I'm going to go outside and mow the grass. And the grass doesn't like it either because, you know, you're basically cutting the grass. You're hurting the grass. Right. Anyways, I'll move on. Someone once told me or sent me a, a meme of something that that smell that you, you, that you smell, you know, of the gra- when when you have freshly cut grass, it's, it's yeah, it, the meme was like, it's basically the grass is crying and you're smelling, you know, everything that's happened to it. Um... It's going for a pruning. It's not fun, but here's the deal: planted, the weeds will, will, the seeds fly around all over the place, and it arbitrarily pops up every which way. However, it says here that he who delights himself in the Lord, he who does not walk in the path of the unrighteous and goes down and stand with the mockers and skinners and scoffers, that they shall be planted. There is intentionality behind that. See, God has intended to plant you. He doesn't just put you where you are arbitrarily. You didn't get picked up by the wind and just land where you are, and now you just have to fend for yourself and figure out why you're there, and there's no purpose, there's no meaning. God has planted us specifically where he wants us to go. He has a plan and a purpose, a time and a season, and he wants to accomplish something specific within your life. He wants to accomplish something exactly at the right place and the right time, and he wants to do that because he has given you everything that he knows you will need in that space where he has put you. God has a plan and a purpose. It, just, it reminds me back of the garden. When God is speaking all the world into existence, he calls the, the luminaries, he calls the expanse and the, and, and, and the sky and the ocean and the animals, the inhabitants of all these places. But when he comes to make man, God does not just, you know... Willy-nilly say something. He gets involved intentionally, purposefully. He comes and he cultivates man. God is in the process of cultivating his people exactly where he wants them to be and do. It's an incredible blessing if we look at it. Because we don't just, you know, grow in a place where hopefully we'll have everything we need. But no, the tree is planted by the riverbed. It's planted in a place where its roots can go down deep and wide. It's planted in a place where it can can go and it can reach every nutrient that it's going to need. It's going to be able to sustain everything and grow everything and fulfill its purpose that it has. It's going to be able to sustain the weight of its limbs and to produce the fruit of its leaves and to to bring about fruit, actually, if it's a fruit-bearing tree. It's going to be able to be flourishing and prosperous, and it's going to do what it needs to do. Why? Because God has planted it in a place where the provision is possible. In Israel, they would have this practice of, of um, basically irrigating everything. Whether there's you know, one source of water in one place, they would split that river into rivulets and they would make different streams and they would bring it about so that by their irrigation, they would get the sustaining power of water to meet every vegetation that they needed within their gardens, within their, their orchards, within the places that they were planting something to produce something else. And if you've ever been to Israel, you'll notice how powerful water can be. You'll go to Masada and look out at the Dead Sea in that place, and all of a sudden, from that vantage point, you see all of this arid space, but you look down and you see just one little stream, and all around that stream, it's lush green vegetation, and yet where that river ends, where the, the span of its water's influence ends, you see a stark contrast of arid, dry, you know, orange dirt. God has planted us. You know, stop and think about this. Where has God planted you within your family? Think about that. You're you're the order of child. You are because God had a plan and a purpose there. You're within the family that you are because God has a plan and a purpose there. You're, stand, you're sitting in church this morning or online. You're watching us. You're, you're coming in contact with the word of God because he's planted you here at this right time and season. He wants to do something within your life, and he's embedding within you every seed and every nutrient that you need in order to be successful, in order to experience his grace and his mercy, in order for you to answer and follow after his call. The, the point that you're planted is this, that, you know what, you have, you're able to, to sh- send out shoots of your, of your roots. You're able to, to send out the tendrils of your roots, and it anchors you to the place where you are. And the beauty in that is when the storms of life come, God has planted you to sustain the winds of the storm that's coming your way. When you face a trial, a, a turbulence, a circumstance that is seemingly impossible and not something you desired. You know, when you hear the news about, you know, a child that you did not want to hear. When you find out the, the prognosis about something that you thought you, were, you had overcome. When you find uh, the pink slip at work or whatever it may be or there comes something more tragic, a loss of a loved one or whatever it is that you encounter. The fact that God has placed you in the riverbeds, and allowed you to extend your roots, he's put you in a place where you're gonna be able to bend and withstand the fury of the winds that are coming your way. Weeds that are just any which place, that some of it falls, like the, the, the seeds, um, the parable of the seeds that Jesus talks about. Some falls on hard ground, some falls on thorny bushes, some falls on fertile ground, and others on the path. Depending where it is the roots can go deep The Lord has planted you, and he intends you to sustain every challenge and to walk through it on the other side. Why? Because he is with you. He is the one that's giving you the life-giving powers. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father if not through me. I am the living waters, and he connects you to his life power, his source. As you are rooted in him, he sustains you, bringing you everything you need, but you're anchored in him. And that allows you to withstand the winds of trials and turbulence. The Bible tells us again and again, there's, there's so much provision for us here, that he has so much in store for us. He's planted us so that we could experience his great mercy. It tells us that we will not wither. Are you, are you, like, that's an incredible blessing. If I look around every fall, every late summer and fall, like what's the reality of life here in New England? The leaves wither, they fall. And then again, my most exciting chore, I gotta go outside and bag all those leaves that I never wanted to pick up in the first place. I have to deal with, it, it withers But yet he says those who follow the right path, those who delight in the Lord, those who have been planted in God, you shall not wither. You'll produce fruit in its season and you shall not wither. There's an incredible thing there that, you know, it doesn't mean that you'll never experience pain or sorrow, but it means that we are able to, if we live with the Lord, we're able to remain and persevere through it all. And we will not wither in the sense that we have a promise that is secure and it is anchored. It will not fail us. He watches over his word to fulfill it. He who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to completion. We are able to experience God and not lose hope of, of him working in our lives and lose sight of his promises. That will not wither. You know, Some of us read this and we say, hey, we're not going to wither. We're going to just prosper. Everything's going to be good. And you know what? Uh, That means that I'm never going to have challenge. But that's not the case. It means that in the middle of your challenge, you can still continue to have your hope flourishing. That shall not wither. Why? Because he remains faithful. While I was faithless, God, you have been faithful. And the promises are there. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. God is a promise-keeping God that has planted you to withstand and to overcome. We have to experience him in all of his promises. Lastly, I'll just leave you with this one and we'll go back into a prayer. Um, I just wanted to spend some time in the Lord this morning is that if we choose the right path, we choose the right delight, we, we decide to be planted in him and see the intentionality that God has for us. We choose him in every time. We allow him to plant us. Then lastly, we just have to trust God to prosper us. Trust God to prosper us. Again, verse three, he shall be like a tree planted in the rivers that bring forth fruit in the season whose leaf shall also not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. The word prosper is a word picture pushing forward moving ahead, breaking out into something that is good, breaking out of the bad and into something that is advancing, that is making progress, that is growing, that is healthy. God wants all of us to have a spiritual success in life, and that's the kind that matters. You know, we get consumed sometimes with this prosperity gospel. We say that God wants us to be rich. He wants us to be this and that. We're not going to experience any pain. I name it. I claim it, and hey, I am for God's blessings and i want that but here's what the apostle said he said this above all else i wish that you would prosper even as your soul prospers see god wants us to be spiritually prosperous first and foremost what matters a man gain the whole world and he loses his soul god wants us to be prosperous in what truly matters and that we can trust him that he will make us successful in that which truly matters even when it seems delayed. Seek first the kingdom of God and I shall add all these other things unto you is what he promised. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his plan, his purposes. He goes to amazing lengths, church, to, to show us his faithfulness. He goes through amazing lengths to show us his promises. I can, I'm grateful to God that through, if I look back in my history, you know, when I, when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be all sorts of different things. I remember when I was a kid one time, I told my mom, I'm going to be a a pizza delivery man, and I'm going to have an orange Camaro, mom. I'm going to bring you a pizza every week. Every night, you got free pizzas on me, mom. That, wow, what an aspiration, huh? That was an aspiration when I was younger. And then beyond that, it, it, it grew to different things. One time I wanted to be an artist. Then, then I wanted to be a martial artist. Then I wanted to be you know, a, a soccer player. Well, I, I stopped playing soccer by the seventh grade, and so that kind of flew out the window. And then what else am I going to be? And as I looked throughout the course of my life, I came to a place where I decided, you know what? I think I want to be in business, and I want to I grow into business. And hey, I can speak Portuguese. I can speak Spanish. Not, not the best Spanish, but I can speak... I can understand, and so, you know what, maybe, maybe if I could be like, like a businessman in a country where I can use my language skills, man, I can make a lot of money, and I can do this, and I can grow, and, and all that. So, so I started, I went to school for business, and I started studying business, and I did that, and when, when I went through college, the first time around, some of the courses that got, got placed before me were not courses that I picked, but courses that were mandated to me. And, and one of the courses that I, that I had to go through was an international cultural culture and protocol class. And the whole, every year, the professor would pick a different nationality or country, he'll pick a different um, you know, uh, case study to do. And that year, that class, my semester, we were studying the Japanese culture. And it was all about how to do business in the Japanese culture and how to work with the Japanese and all these different things. And I learned a lot. And it was incredible. And it was fun. And I don't remember everything, but I remember a few things. And you know what? Okay, weird. Why last year he did something else, but this year he did this country, no problem. Well, let's cut a long story short. When I first got my first job, where I, you know, first um, entry level job that I actually started growing a career in. It was working for a company that had just my interview she says I don't know if I can offer you the job because we just got bought out by a Japanese company and I don't know if they're gonna lay everyone off or not but you know what we liked you and we want to hire you so let's come contract the perm and then you can come and join the join the office and I started working there and and God opened up a door for me there and I started progressing in my career and I stop and I think back, God, why did you allow in college that course and you helped me? And it was beneficial. It helped me relate and connect with different people that I was working with and and be able to have something to talk about and ask them questions about and show up from a place of knowledge as opposed to just trying to figure everything out, you know, from scratch. It was a great thing. And yet God was orchestrating that. And, And I feel like that's just barely scratching the surface, God goes beyond and above to reach us and to fulfill his promise to prosper us, doesn't it? And I know that in all of that, even in the midst of all that, God was preparing my heart to be open to hearing his gospel so that when you know my, my excitement for, for business and growth and money and all this kind of stuff, it led me to a place uh, of, of discouragement when something negative happened to me in my life in my walk, that it allowed God to say, hey, you put all your eggs in that basket, now let me show you something better. And he started to work in my heart and it was people within that community that started gearing me and and, and pushing me more towards the word of God. And I'm grateful for that. I read a story recently about a father who was just burdened for his son. He was a businessman as well and he kept going around uh, for his business trips and he would stay in different hotels and as he would stay in these different hotels, he you know, would oftentimes grab the Gideon Bible that's in pretty much every single hotel. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you'll go to the bedside table or you go to the desk at every, pretty much every hotel room in America and you can open it up and there will be a Gideon Bible there. The Gideons have, have done this incredible ministry of supplying hotels with Bibles. Why? Because when people are in times of uncertainty and, and, and transition, people are hungry for God. People are are open and, and they're in places of tension and away from family and things may happen. Well, anyways, this father was in the habit of reading the Gideon Bible. And what happened was that one night as he's in the hotel room, he opens up that Bible. He gets an overwhelming sense of just burden for his son's. His sons weren't saved. They didn't know the Lord. They, they did not walk. They were, as the psalmist said, walking in the path of the scoffers and sitting with the sinners. And these sons were not living a life that was righteous at all. And so the father was burdened for his sons. So what he does is he started to gra- he grabbed that Bible and he began writing his spiritual thoughts on the margin of that Bible. And he poured out his heart for his son and a prayer of salvation for his son and the burden that he had in his heart for his son. And so, he went on, continued his life. One day, his son, about three years later, his son also stayed in the very same hotel that his dad had stayed in. It was the Windsor Hotel in Montreal, Canada, and that night you know, he went in there, he was feeling depressed. He had gone through some challenges in his life and he was feeling burdened. So he decided to do something that he never did before. He opened up that Gideon Bible and he started reading. And as he's thumbing through the pages, he recognizes the the, the writing of a person that he knows. He's like, this looks like my father's writing. And then all of a sudden he sees his name pop up on, on the margins as his dad is just pouring out his spirit and pouring out his heart over the burden for his son that is lost. Those words so move that boy, so moved that son in the middle of his depression that he said, you know what, I need to do something about this. He gets down on his knees on his bedside and he prays, Jesus, I need you to come into my life. And that son found salvation that day. God will go through lengths to reach us and prosper us. The prosperity might not look like what we have determined it to be through the world's definition, but God is prospering us in our soul. And he wants us to be in good health, first and foremost, physically, uh, I'm sorry, spiritually, as opposed to physically. And in that promise of prosperity is yes and amen. He is reserving a place for us, church, that one day there'll be no more tear, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more challenge. Sin will Sin will lose its power. Death has lost its sting. Why? Because he is faithful. He wants us to prosper by knowing that gospel and coming in line with that, walking in that way, delighting in that word, being planted in that truth so that he can prosper us and bring about the fruit that he wants in our lives. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and I want us to just consider for a little bit What is it that you're delighting in today? What is the path that you're walking in today? What is it that you are feeling like you have been planted in? The point is that God has a purpose for you wherever you are. He wants to accomplish something in your life today. He wants to do something in your life this morning. He's put you in the family that he's put you in, the job he's put you in, the community he's put you in, this church for a purpose and a reason, and he will bring about his good. He will bring about something. And you know what? If you haven't experienced him like this young man experienced, the love of his father, years removed in a place he never expected, God is ready and willing and excited to do the same for you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has reserved for his people. He has placed you in a place where you shall be like a river, like a tree planted by the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season, where your leaves will not wither, And your prosperity will be there because he'll prosper you in all that you do. Father, I just invite you into this moment. Lord, I don't know where your people are today. I just know, God, that that question, are you happy? Lord, if we're really, truly honest, there's times where we feel everything but happy. God, that we are just so overcome and overwhelmed with everything around us. God, I pray that you would just help us to be enamored once more by your book and your word. That, Lord, we would just come to you and just cry out to you for what you have promised to be possible. That we would stand upon that and plant ourselves on that truth and dig our roots deep within you, Lord. Father, I pray that you would break apart every lie and every, Lord Jesus, negative thought that your church has that is leading them away from that promise or enticing them away into the way of the coffer and the mocker and the sinner. But God, I pray that you would allow them to be anchored once more to your good word, to be planted, to be, Lord God, useful, to bring about fruit in the right time in the right place. For you are good and holy. Father, if there's any person that's here today that has never, Lord God, come like this young man, never come and said, Lord, I need you in my life. I have sinned, I've fallen away, I'm living in the wrong way, and I know that judgment is reserved for me. God, if there's any person in this vein, I pray that you would help us to see them now. That, Lord, you would allow them, Lord Jesus, to to just express their heart right now in this moment. That, Father, your church would be able to come alongside and help them to just lead them to the word of God. Embrace them in love and show them the way where your word has said, Lord, that you have not wished that any of us would perish, but that we would have everlasting life. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day of salvation. Father, as we um, conclude our time today and spend just a few more moments, Lord God, contemplating, reflecting, and praying, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would go and minister to hearts right now. We invite your presence here, Holy Spirit. We invite your presence here. I invite the worship team to come up and uh, to just put on a song for us here as we just spend some moments with the Lord. Father, I pray that your presence would come into this space. Father, break apart every single inhibition, roadblock, and barrier and allow your church, Lord God, to rest in your promise in your precious and mighty name. Amen. Amen. These altars are always open. We believe that God is answering prayers and ministering to people. And he does so because, not that we deserve it, but because of his great mercy and grace. So if you just need someone to stand in belief with you, to plant down roots with you, that God's promise and faithfulness will be manifested, that you will see it in your life. In your circumstance, we invite you to come to these altars. Take a few moments, just pray. And uh, for the rest of you, may the, may the grace of God, the love of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, the, 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 the hope of glory that's within our Lord, may it go with you as you leave this place to be a blessing, a, a tree that is planted in bringing about fruit in every place that you minister, every place that you visit, every space that you inhabit. In Jesus' mighty name.